WebmasterRadio.fm. Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kepner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter & Boguski, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, and you are listening to The Hook with Katie Kempner, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. My hope is that by listening to my various guests, you will find new forms of inspiration that you can use in your life and have some fun along the way. So since it's my show and I can say whatever I want, the first thing is I just want to say happy anniversary to my parents who have been married for a staggering 41 years. So uh, I think that deserves a little little recognition. And now, going past that today, I will be talking to my friend Becky Ebenkamp, one of the most fascinating and certainly one of the coolest, if not the coolest person that I know. Becky is an entertainment editor for Brand Week magazine, where she serves as a pop cultural anthropologist, according to Dumb Angel magazine. To find out what Dumb Angel magazine is, and more importantly, get Becky's unique perspective on a range of subjects, and you'll see what I mean in a second, it is my pleasure to welcome her to my show. Hello, Becky. Hey, Katie. How you doing? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure, and I want to give a shout-out to Katie's parents for uh, the 41st uh, wedding anniversary. Isn't that insane? That's awesome. 41 years. So, I think we should jump right in by me um, asking you, what is Dumb Angel magazine? <laughs> um, well, Dumb Angel isn't my magazine, I, sh- I should probably say. Um, it's um, and because it's not my magazine, I don't have that like thirty second pitch for it ready. <laughs> but right. um, I, um, my boyfriend does a, a magazine, a zine called Dumb Angel, and he's been doing it since the late eighties, um, back in the day when you had to do paste up. And today it's this very you know nice, very cool looking, uh, slick magazine. Uh, but it basically deals with surf culture, California in the mid-60s, just things that we're interested in. And he kind of tries to tie them all together um, in terms of, I guess, aesthetics and sound and just the vibe of that time. And I think in future issues he's going to look at other periods, but basically surfing, uh, music, architecture, and all that kind of stuff. So that and was my convoluted, your, boyfriend, your boyfriend, Dominic Priore. Sorry, yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> Dominic, who I've been hearing about other, for years, I <laughs> finally had the pleasure to meet very recently and was, uh, he is more interesting even than I thought he was going to be. I thought you were going to say than me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 let's say equally. You know, I, I know, like, I'm really not a very professional host, but one thing I know is you don't uh, put down your guests. <laughs> well, one of the things, so Dominic, you and Becky are equally interesting, <laughs> but I noticed that on Dumb Angel, the reason I bring it up is that you're an editorial advisor, and it has your bio there where it talks about the fact that you are a lapsed musician, 
the 10 Tons of Lies on Vox Records, and a contributor to several books, including Bubblegum Music is the Naked Truth and Lost in the Grooves. <laughs> but now, <laughs> if that weren't enough, this is the part that I really like where it lists your turn-ons. So fondue, okay, bread, cheese, chocolate, pound cake, like, you know, what's not to like there? Chimps, I'm afraid to ask about that. Collecting vintage clothes, which I know because you always look great in them. Hoarding records. But this is what I, I just, I cannot go on until I understand what you mean about big eye paintings. Oh, um, well, in the 1960s, there were these artists that um, specialized in, like, little children with big eyes. Um, the artist that, um, that got famous for this was named Walter Keane, and he was married to a woman named Margaret, and supposedly she was his assistant, and he made these, photo, these, these paintings of these kids with these exaggerated, big, droopy, sad eyes, and a lot of, you know, popular art of the day. I mean, this was not like, you know, uh, these weren't Picasso. <laughs> these were very, um, you know, mass, you know, pop culture. Everyone had these prints or, you know, knockoffs of them, and so there were a lot of copycat cap artists, but what really interests me is the whole history of the Keens because in the mid-80s, it turned out that um, she challenged him and she said he was never the artist. I was the wife, Margaret, and they had to have like a paint-off in court. <laughs> a paint-off? <laughs> yeah. And she just like whipped out an eyeball in like, you know, 10 seconds and he started complaining about his bursitis or something. And so it's this whole, I don't know, it's just this story and all this mythology and also these great, great, great <laughs> paintings, which are just so emotional and sad and just manipulative. And I just, I like to put them in a guest room at my house and just have them staring all inward at the bed so the guest feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I've invited me to your house several times, and I'm thinking to myself, I really should go, and now I don't know. <laughs> well, but now, I just have to ask, before we actually talk about um, Brand Week stuff, uh, what ended up happening? Did she, did it turn out she was the painter? Yeah, she won. She won. Oh, there was another interesting aspect, too, I guess, of the case where, um, she, yeah, she, she won, but basically got no money, you know, with one of those deals. <laughs> like, nothing oh. came of it. You know, he was either bankrupt or something, you know, but... Um, also, he tried to say one of his um, one of his uh, um, arguments was that he had been painting this style long before he met her. He'd been painting it since like the 40s and 50s. So the judge or someone, or the other lawyer, maybe asked him to uh, produce one of these paintings that date back from before he met Margaret. And he said they were all lost at sea. <laughs> <laughs> lost at sea. Well, we we have to move on because, you know okay. what, for my parents' 41st anniversary, we just cannot talk about bad marriages. No. <laughs> Do your parents need a DJ for their anniversary, by the way? Oh, <laughs> no, yes. My parents would not know what to do with a DJ because, of course, among other things, you're also a DJ. And I want to talk about that. But before we talk about DJing, I thought we could start out by talking about your cover story in this week's Brand Week. Yay. Okay. So, congratulations. Well, do you say, is it appropriate to say to a journalist, congratulations on a big story? I would imagine it is. I mean, it's clearly a lot of work. It's a lot okay. of work. <laughs> okay. It's a lot of work, so um, I was glad I got good placement and everything. Well, it's a great story. I mean, it, it's about destination licensing. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? Yeah. Um, well, I kind of, um, you know, I guess tried to invent 
<laughs> category of licensing. I always, you know, I'm really, really fascinated by trends, by consumer trends, by the way people behave, by, by how they change behavior, behavior, you know, over a couple of weeks or, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, what people are doing and thinking. And so I'm always really interested when I can get in kind of early on what I see as a trend brewing. And with destination licensing, I kind of came up with that name with some of the folks at Lima, which is this huge, like, licensing um, group, trade group, and um, the way I thought of it was destinations in terms of places, you know, that you would maybe go to on a vacation, um, but maybe not, Um, but just the way cities are being branded, I guess, or states or areas, it's not just cities, but but in terms of how they're being branded sort of as um, lifestyle brands or brands Mm -hmm. with personalities, as opposed to, well, what I say in the story is just, it's not just been there, done there, bought the t-shirt. It's about wanting to have a piece of that town and, and sort of your, you know, your whatever, that the town's essence sort of being something that you really see as Iconographic part of essences. I'm sorry? I said iconographic essences, if I can quote you from your story, oh, which okay. I love. So I said that, okay. <laughs> but I mean, like, when you think of the personalities of different cities like um, Williamsburg and Coney mm-hmm. Island, which are two, I think, extreme examples of very different brands, but that have very strong personalities, um, sure, they have tourist business, um, and people will buy a T-shirt there or whatever, a postcard, but, um, but they also have this feeling you're kind of like a Williamsburg person. Maybe you're a little more traditional or more into... Um, you know, Williamsburg wants to say that we're not just traditional and formal, but it's more with a twist. But it's a little quirky, um, but it's also very, um, you know, very refined and quality mm-hmm. products. Coney Island, you think, you know, uh, snack foods and tattoos and, you know, good music. And it's, it's more, you know, it's a punk rock brand, I guess, is the best, easiest way to identify it. And, and so people can relate to those cities Mm-hmm. Um, not just in terms of, oh, I went there and here's my shirt that shows you that I went there, but that that's kind of Coney Island style, you know, might be a teenager's bedroom, you know, the red and the black and, you know, the artwork. And um, so I was trying to make the case that this is becoming a licensing trend. And um, I don't think it's a huge trend now, but we've seen a lot of cities like New York City and Las Vegas and Huntington Beach, California and Hollywood do things that are a little broader than tourist merchandise and, um, you know, that I think they can be revenue streams in the future. Well, I noticed something interesting in your story, which you said is an issue, and I'm wondering if it's a major issue, of, like, who owns the place. Yeah, um, I think it gets a little bit confusing, and I thought that was something that was good to go into because it is, um, you know, it's very, to me at least, not being a lawyer, it's kind of abstract. You know, if you... um, you know, if you're whatever, let's say Bloomberg, <laughs> you know, the mayor of New York, um, you don't you don't own New York City. You know, what are the rights to that, and what can you license out? Like, what can you say? You know, we're as the city of New York, you cannot use this term or this image or whatever unless you pay us a licensing fee. And um, it's I found it's a very uh, kind of arduous process in terms of ownership. You can't actually really own an area, but you can um, you can trademark certain things, and that's why a lot of um, cities trademark uh, slogans and things like that. And one of the most interesting cases I thought I found in the story was um, the Hollywood sign is mm-hmm. um, trademarked um, by the Chamber of Commerce, but it's not the word Hollywood that's trademarked because people can put that on T-shirts or whatever products. They don't have to have permission from the city. But if they spell it out in block letters, 
it mm-hmm. looks like the Hollywood sign, that is a licensing deal and they have to pay a fee for that. Or if they spell out anything in something that looks like those Hollywood block letters, like they could put the name of their company or whatever, the X Games or, I don't know, Motorola, um, then they still have to pay a licensing fee because it's that, it's sort of that patented look. I guess patent's the wrong word. That's legally untrue, but... <laughs> right. No, no, but I know what you mean. But that's amazing. Yeah, so I thought I that mean, was kind of fascinating, and I think it might actually end up, um, in some ways, maybe the law will end up getting interpreted a little more specifically because of these types of things. That's a, you know, I saw one thing that I just wanted to ask you quickly in your article, when you were, because you mentioned Williamsburg earlier. Mm-hmm. How, can, how can, like, Williamsburg products, you say that, you know, they're sold in Lowe's, which are, I guess, like Home Depot, mm-hmm. all the way to Neiman's, to JCPenney's. How can they sort of retain the, the image that they're trying to create mm-hmm. if they're so up and down? Well, I think um, I think there's a difference between Neiman Marcus and Hot Topic. <laughs> I don't think Williamsburg could be an authentic brand selling in Hot Topic or something like that. I think where it comes in is it has to, you know, it can sell geographically. It doesn't have to be specific to Williamsburg. And I think that's kind of the litmus test for a lot of these geographic or destination brands. They can, mm-hmm. If they can sell outside of their area, and it's not just that you go there as a tourist and buy something, a tchotchke, um, then I think they have um, enough of a brand image that you know, people are interested in. And I think um, as long as Williamsburg can retain the, its flavor and its essence as a brand, and I think probably for a lot of people, it could be a trusted name like I don't know, like Ethan Allen or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, where people think this is authentic, it's historically accurate, it's quality, it's, you know, long-term, it's not a trend that's going to go in and out. And so I think those kind of feelings can can be interpreted for different products that can be sold. Um, I don't want to say anywhere because, again, hot topic, not a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> With Colonial Williamsburg, but um, but I think you get the idea. No, I do, I do, I do. Let's talk a little bit about your role as entertainment editor for Brand Week. Okay. <laughs> um, what are the main your main interests? I mean, clearly from the title, we can get somewhat. But like, what what are you looking for in a story? Mm-hmm. Um, well, for everyone at Brand Week, I'll just give you the the pitch, which is. Everyone here is looking for news. Um, we're looking to break news. Primarily, we're a news magazine. We do write features and, um, you know, longer thought pieces. But basically, we want to be the ones, to, the first ones to find out about something. Now, for me in entertainment, generally, um, that involves either entertainment marketing that, you know, the studios or TV shows or music artists are doing to promote their works themselves um, or what brands are doing to tie into them in a lot of cases. And, of course, that's probably the growing area right now um, because there's so much product placement or branded integration that's going on, um, and that's just uh, becoming more convoluted and crazy and (laughs) taking on a new life online. So I would say, yeah, anytime a, a brand ties into entertainment, I'm interested in hearing about it first. First. Okay, first. So that's out there. So, well, let me ask you, you know, I, I have to ask you some just silly PR questions okay. um, just because, you know, I have to be loyal to my PR peeps. And also I'd like some advice for myself. <laughs> Actually, the only, silly, uh, the only silly PR question is how often does brand week come out? And I get that <laughs> every couple of weeks. <laughs> well, I've had, like, people on the show before, and they said, you know, if you don't read what I do or you don't read a magazine, don't mm-hmm. contact me. But that seems, like, more than obvious, right? 
It does, but I mean, we, I think I, I realize that there's way too much to read out there. If you at least can fake it with me <laughs> and make it sound like you read me or you could spell my name right or have an idea what I cover, I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I come see you DJing. So can people send you um, their products and pitches in the mail? Should they email you? Can they call you? Do you hate to be called? Mm. Um, I usually respond better to email because I'm multitasking and I can do three things at once. Generally, the best way to reach me is to, is to send me an email at bebbencamp at brandweek.com. Mm-hmm. You can look it up at my website, <laughs> at Brandweek's website, if I said that too fast. Um, and the main thing is that I, you know, because I probably really read one in ten emails, you know, if, I mean, I open everything except for the Nigerian 419 scam letters, but, but I don't really read it. And, I, and the other thing is if, it's, if I see something that's gone to a lot of recipients, I generally will just go on to the next. Mm-hmm. But anyways, an email that, especially if you have a story that's exclusive and sounds like a brand week story, if there's something in the subject line that gives me a hint that this isn't just a spam or a, you know, a regular press release, because, you know, we like getting the press releases just for FYI, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but we're not generally going to write a whole lot about it. And it's, it's the folks that send press releases and then send three more emails saying, did you get my press release? And then call to follow up on that press release that, you know, that we're probably not going to be interested in talking to, because yeah. what- it just takes time away from the real stories. <laughs> What's the craziest thing someone ever did to try to get you, like, to write a story about their product? Uh, let's see. Um, well, other than just, like, begging <laughs> on their knees. Um, Which is uh, my technique. <laughs> Please, begging! Uh, yeah, they'll offer you a trip somewhere, or, you know, <laughs> a $2,000 goodie bag or whatever, um, you know, and generally, well, we're not supposed to really accept things like that like yeah we can go out to dinner with someone we're not the new york times i guess we're not quite that strict but um but we're not supposed to just like you know uh take uh take bling for <laughs> for uh verbiage and um i don't know someone sent me candy once and i have to say that it did get my attention because i love candy <laughs> and so. i know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know that you love candy and who doesn't love candy yeah. really <laughs> i think i've actually like just put that in my columns too like send me candy just you know along with your pitch just you know I'm total candy whore here okay now you're going to get too much candy and you're gonna, <laughs> but you can share you can share it with Dominic um, I use you know I usually ask this and then we'll move on but I just wanted to ask you one more thing about PR advice uh-huh. I found that I usually ask this to PR people when I have them on my show but I thought it would be a, it would be an interesting to hear it from the people that were actually trying to you know, uh-huh. work with, what do you think is the biggest challenge or, like, the biggest challenges a PR person faces right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the, um, I think the biggest challenge is probably the same one that journalists face now, which is maintaining integrity and being able to rise above what kind of the perception of your industry or your field is. I mean, the press is, um, right now, especially the, you know, the White House <laughs> correspondents, I think, of, um, is really, you know, people say they're not really reporting the news, they're not asking the tough questions. And um, I think with, with, on your side, on the PR side, um, and again, looking at the White House <laughs> PR, uh, you know, uh, revolving door, um, yeah. it's just hard to maintain integrity. I think you have to really think about the brand that you represent, what you want to do, and really believe in it. And, I mean, it might sound a little cheesy, but um, I think you can't really represent something that you don't believe in or, you know, you don't want to be 
having that brown, you, know, you don't want to be having to, to go out and, so I think, I think you just really have to be like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, um, you know, like an evangelist <laughs> for your brand and you have to really, really believe in it. You can't, um, I don't think you can be, uh, someone who has to have four drinks a night just be, for what they had to say that day because they didn't, they didn't really think they were telling the truth or they knew they were putting spin on something. And so, you know, represent a good brand, someone that you, you know, personally think is doing a good job that maybe has, uh, you know, the, the type of advice. beliefs that you do. That is excellent advice. So we are going to take a very short break. I told you this is okay. my favorite part when I, like, get to segue into and out of the break. <laughs> so here we go. We are going to take a very short break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about branding and pop culture and parties. So we'll be back right after this quick break. Sit tight and don't move. The Hook. We'll be back after this short break. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. Com. More than a name. Google AdSense. How do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads, and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. Now back to The Hook. The intersection of advertising and PR. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your host. Hi, we're back. I'm Katie Kempner, and we are talking today to Becky Ebenkamp, entertainment editor for Brand Week magazine. Hello, Becky. Hi, Katie. <laughs> I told you that's my favorite part. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I, I found your commercials very informative, and I would buy all those products. <laughs> and Wait, they were better you. than listening to James Blunt. So. <laughs> that beautiful song. I still like that song. I don't know. Even though I normally I'm opposed to things that are on the radio all the time, but uh, like, I know you're a huge music person. Are are and you're you DJ? Are you DJing anything coming up? Yes, I am. I'm actually DJing um, sort of an, well, unofficial, um, it's basically a Scooby-Doo party. <laughs> it's um, it's a, a teen sleuth uh, birthday party at uh, the Balboa um, Fun Zone in uh, Balboa's part of Newport Beach, California. It's this awesome, awesome 
playground from the 60s with, you know, skee-ball and, you know, treats that'll spoil your dinner. And it's awesome. And it's being torn down later this year. I want to make sure I get that out there. If anybody is a fan of uh, the Balboa Fun Zone, chain yourself to the, I don't know, the Wonder Wheel or <laughs> Whatever, but, but anyway, so I'm going to be playing bubblegum music, and the um, the party goers are going to be trying to solve a mystery, um, and they've been sent clues and dossiers, and you know there's going to be people like old fishermen and people to <laughs> talk to, and, you know, get those meddling like kids, that. I guess. And I will be playing a soundtrack of bubblegum music to go along with that. Uh, Which kind of is what is bubblegum music? What's bubblegum. Um, I guess everybody would have a different definition of it, um, and it's also kind of considered a negative term, I guess, to a lot of people. It just means lightweight music. It basically means it's music that is not Bob Dylan, you know, ah. um, not the thinking man's music. But to me, um, bubblegum music is just really great pop music, three-minute songs, really catchy. Um, a lot of the songs have um, are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, at 11.30 a.m., I should have. Uh, I should be a little more, uh, you know, articulate. But, but basically the songs have, you know, the lyrics are metaphors for other things. A lot of times they're talking about candy, but they're really talking about sex. <laughs> like a lot of subtext in these songs. And they'll, they'll be themed to nursery rhymes and different things, but they're basically about relationships. Um, so I play everything from the Archies to, um, God, I, I don't play Britney Spears because... I actually don't like her very much. I'll play a current bubblegum song if I like it. Music genre. I'm sorry. I said she would fall into the bubblegum music genre. Some people would because she's, you know, a puppet basically. You know, a lot of times if you're a Sven, if you have a Sven Gali who's, you know, record producer who's, you know, somebody's writing your song, somebody's grooming you, somebody's just saying, go out there and dance, you know, <laughs> basically and lip sync. Um, you know, people will call that bubblegum, but to me, bubblegum is a specific genre. I, all I can really say is I know it when I hear it. Like the, right. um, like I said, the Ramones can do a bubblegum song, and they're, you know, they're legit. We're a legitimate band, but it's it's more about an attitude and a, a bunch of things wrapped together. Well, that sounds like an amazing party. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the thinking man's music, or sort of some of the thinking man's music. I wanted to talk about like big bands selling out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be taboo for big bands to be commercialized and in commercial commercials and now it seems to me it's fine. I mean, I was thinking when I of when I was thinking of how I would pose this question, I was thinking of like the case of Sting. The way mm-hmm. I understood that song Desert Rose, he couldn't get any airtime for it and then once it was in the Jaguar commercial everyone wanted to hear it and mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about that or U two concerts being sponsored by Kmart? Mm-hmm. Um, I kinda look at it on a on a case by case basis. Um, as far as the sting thing goes, I think that's that's kind of a, a common thing these days, and especially for maturing artists who um, <laughs> maybe, like, I, I was watching some documentary or something on Dolly Parton, and she was going around to all these radio stations doing promos, and she was basically saying, I can't get any airplay. And everyone I know loves Dolly Parton, and yeah. just because she's not, you know, 17 years old, and, you know, she's, you know, she can't even get, you know, even on country stations, get airplay, because, you know, it's not slick, and it's not, you know, kind of manufactured, and, you know, the record company isn't putting X, Y, and Z dollars behind it, so I think it's a great way to promote yourself. I mean, I think before, when it was considered taboo, it was more like, you're selling out because you're taking 
let's say $10 million, $5 million, whatever, to, um, to whore out your song to this commercial. Now it's almost seen as you're not getting promotion anywhere else. Your record company isn't backing you up. Your um, MTV isn't playing you if you're over a certain age or not one of the five songs in heavy rotation in TRL. Radio certainly isn't playing you. Maybe satellite is. Um, so artists see it as a way to, it's like, almost like sampling, like when you, you know, give out samples of, you know, chips yeah. or something. You know, it, it's a way of getting people exposed to the music. And I think it's a great way, especially for up-and-coming bands um, who have, you know, basically point zero 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 one chance of actually getting exactly. a hit song. So, so you don't have a problem with it. You don't think of them as selling out. Not really. I mean, there's some instances where a certain song that might have bothered me was used somewhere. Maybe it meant something special to me. And um, but um, and I think the whole thing was with, with like you two. You mentioned Kmart, and I think they were just really trying to be ironic with that one. And I don't know that that went over so well. But with iPod, it I think it really ironic or rich. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, are they trying to be ironic or really rich? <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it's a little both. But, um, but no, I, I interrupted was, you. I wanted to hear what you thought about the U2 iPod. Oh, well, just the, I think the iPod was a great fit for U2, and it was a great platform for them to launch their new their new song. And also, like, you know, Moby's done a lot of stuff with, you know, and he, I think, um, also uses it to, um, to put money back into, you know, philanthropic. Did I say that word? <laughs> philanthropic. Philanthropic. <laughs> Um, one thing that I found was really interesting recently is um, Neil Young was on Saturday Night Live a few months ago, mm-hmm. and you may remember Neil Young had that this uh, this Buds for You song or whatever it was called, <laughs> where he basically says I'm not going to sing for Coke or Pepsi and all this, and I'm not going to yeah, hold yeah. my music out basically. But <laughs> he was on Saturday Night Live, and after he played, they go to the commercial and they say this music segment was sponsored by Budweiser. <laughs> So it kind of shows you how things have changed. <laughs> well, I love Neil Young, but he would probably be in that same aging, thinking man's music category, probably. <laughs> and don't even get me started on Bob's, Bob Dylan for Victoria's Secret. That was oh, just I... frightening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I wanted to sort of, I mean, there's so many buzzwords sort of being thrown out there these days, but I wanted to sort of just throw a couple out there myself mm-hmm. and, and see what you had to think about them. You, you mentioned branded entertainment earlier, and I, I was kind of curious. Um, first of all, branded entertainment is such a broad term, mm-hmm. but I was thinking, like, you know, what do you see it as, and really what do you think of it in the future? Going um, well, I think there's a reason it's a very broad term. It's because I don't think it's it's defined enough for now. You know, I, I think it's mm-hmm. kind of a, it's a catch-all. Um, you know, product placement has become, you know, like kind of the taboo word, but because I think people think product placement is only one aspect of branded entertainment. And I think, you know, the, the folks that are leading the charge on this want to keep it very broad because in the future there's going to be new technology and there are going to be new ways you can tie into entertainment that don't exist today. And, um, and you definitely see that agencies and their clients are getting more creative w- with what they're doing in terms of branded entertainment. And one of the things that recently came up is, uh, um, you know, the whole lost interactive experience or whatever it's called, LIE, L-I-E, um, which is this, you know, way of taking the TV show Lost um, to the Internet and to the world, basically, just outside of the Internet, just off the screen, I guess, um, because 
right now we're in summer rerun season, and people really, you know, it's a mystery show. People want to watch it every week and know what's going on. So they created this whole component offline, and um, a lot of brands are tying into that. Um, they're, and I don't know how happy the fans are with that when they find out that some of these mystery clues are um, are. Um, are in fact ad messages, but but it's an interesting way of expanding branded entertainment from just you know you couldn't have a Coke can on uh, on Lost really, um, but you but Coke could tie in in some other way. Um, so I think that's really interesting, and I think we're going to see more of that um, sort of integrated you know across different channels, different media. Well, I mean, and you make a good point. I mean, do you think that Lost fans? care that in there is advertising when it's so very clear and it's not, I mean, when they're opting into an experience and it's there, or do you think that that really turns them off? Um, well, just judging from um, from the research I did on it, I mean, people weren't like boycotting <laughs> products or right. anything, but they didn't like it. They like they seemed disappointed. Like, the thing that I compare it to, and like, after I wrote about this, I saw other people compare it to, so, um, but... It's um, it's kind of like that movie, A Christmas Story, where the kid gets his whatever it is, orphan Annie decoder ring, and it says, "Drink your Ovaltine." <laughs> you know, they feel kind of bummed out, and people are like, "Oh, I didn't realize this was going to be just a big commercial for uh, for products." But um, but hey, you know what? If if it's a game, and that's what's keeping the game going, is sponsors. I think they want to play the game, and they're not dropping yeah. out of it because of that. Well, you know, I've mentioned this before um, on the show, but Chuck Chuck Porter says, uh, the chairman of Christian Porter, but that he thinks that there's going to become a time where you like go to watch the Super Bowl and you say, you know, I want the Super Bowl brought to me by Nike or I want the Super Bowl brought to me by my Miller Lite mm-hmm. or Burger King. Um, notice uh, those second two occurred to me. I should throw in my own clients. With Nike not being one of them, but, but um, that was branded entertainment right there. <laughs> that was branded entertainment right there. <laughs> I could be good at that, but um. <laughs> But, but you know, and that's and people are going to opt in knowing, like you know, if I if I get it by Burger King, I'm going to be watching Burger King spots along the way, and that's okay because otherwise, I mean, who's going to pay for all this programming? Mm-hmm. But if they did that, if you could choose what you were going to see, you wouldn't be exposed to anything that maybe would surprise you or you wouldn't know about, and maybe you already buy those products, so. How would so you? Oh, that's a well. That's a very good point. So then, if I already buy a if Whopper, if I go to Burger then, King every day, or maybe exactly. I just really like Burger King's advertising or something, and I think the commercials will be funny. Which I love yeah. your Mantham commercial, by the way. And that's, I think you. Yeah. <laughs> not a not a plug. I'm not being paid to say that. I just thought that commercial was hilarious. Becky candy on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self: extra candy. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for the candy. <laughs> Well, well, let's talk a little bit as we're throwing out buzzwords about guerrilla marketing because I know one of the one of the special issues for Brand Week you have marketers of the year and guerrilla marketers oh, yeah. of the year. Well, we have a special issue um, that comes out usually early November around that time of the year, um, and basically, you know, because we write so much about advertising and you know it's with a lot of the, the marketing trades, you know. If you're spending a hundred million dollars on, you know, an advertising campaign, you're probably going to get, uh, you know, bigger space in the book than if you're spending a hundred dollars on it. You know, mm-hmm. but I, and I mean in terms of, you know, just that in terms of the interest and what um, readers would want to see, we're going to we go for the big stories. Obviously, we follow the money. 
<laughs> um, but but I'm really interested in innovation and creativity, and I feel like there's this whole world that gets left out because they didn't spend money. And sometimes my theory is that if you don't have a lot of money to spend, that's when you really are creative, and that's when you really because you know you have to come up with interesting ways to do things that you know. And so, anyways, we have an issue that we kind of dedicate to um, to efforts that are more viral. Um, the way I look at it is if um, if the company spends a lot of money in advertising and they do something very guerrilla in attitude, I'll look at that. It doesn't have to just be small companies. It's almost harder, I think, for a big company to say, hey, I'm not going to throw a bunch of money at this. I'm going to have people who really come up with a great idea. <laughs> it's like when you're used to throwing money at something, I think. Yeah. That's the tendency. Um, so we really, you know, we look at a range of companies that are doing things that are successful or getting people's attentions or getting, consu- getting uh, consumers involved um, you know, a lot of a lot of them are online, but not all of them are. Um, and this last year, we looked more at um, at how companies were using entertainment to um, you know to get people interested. Mm-hmm. And and, um, you know what I find interesting about the guerrilla marketing of the year issue is that clients are really want to be a part of that. I mean, they also want to be in the marketers of the year, but it's really I mean, which I think is a commentary on where marketing is going. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to say, you know, we're part of this, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the agencies want to get recognized for that, too, because it shows that they're innovative and they can think on their feet. Um, and, you know, I mean, honestly, as someone who, I mean, I used to be an ad critic. I used to watch TV commercials and write about them every week. I don't do that anymore now that I cover entertainment and do some other things for the magazine. But um, as a consumer, I don't watch commercials. I have TiVo. <laughs> Unless I see something that really catches my eye, I don't generally stop now, and you know, and I have an interest in commercials. So, what does that say about where the public's going, or you know, where you know a decent chunk of the public is at right now? Uh, if you're not watching commercials, you got to reach people some other way. Well, I mean, what and what do you think? Just sort of, you know, we talked a little bit about product placement or brand entertainment, or but what what do you think? Since I mean, so many people aren't watching commercials anymore, and I mean. How do you think, because brands aren't going to stop delivering messages. Well, that's why I think so many of them are delivering the messages on the shows mm-hmm. themselves. That's, you know, that's why integration, it's, it's harder to just, you know, fast forward over, you know, when Tyra Banks starts blabbing about CoverGirl in the middle of America's Next Top Model um, instead of the CoverGirl commercial that runs. You know, it's part of the programming. People are more interested in it, and you know, they'll, they'll sit it out. Um, um, also, I don't know if you saw this yesterday. There was a, a story on the wire about a, a new TV show for uh, Meow, the Meow Mix House. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't. But the, but I the cat reality show sponsored yeah. by Meow Mix. <laughs> what do you think about that? Something like that. Um, <laughs> well, I uh, I don't know. I'd have to see it. It, it looks like. You know, I went to the website. It looks like the real world with cats. So, um, well, that the cats each I would think would interest you personally, <laughs> since you're like such a cat person, right? Right, right. I, well, I'll maybe see if my cats want to watch it, but I don't <laughs> think it would. I, I have ADD, so even like something with a plot is hard for me to watch. But uh, I mean, I think it's an interesting concept, and you know, again, it's it's that total branding. You know, branded entertainment. It's Meow Mix House. Meow Mix. You know, cat food is the sponsor, and they're actually doing something kind of good. They're like trying to raise awareness about all the shelter cats out there, and the cats get voted off, and <laughs> they get adopted in a home. So, you know, I mean, I think with a reality show now, you have to do something that is just so 
wacky that, you know, people, I mean, I don't think this one's like train wreck TV, but what's the one with the, the tiny bachelor or whatever the one with the, what? with, with the, with, with the women date? I don't know that one, but I did watch something called Wife Swap last night. (laughs) Oh, Wife Swap is pretty good, yeah. (laughs) Well, last night they took a lady that, like, raises llamas in Kansas or Kentucky and swapped her with somebody from New York that was a big partier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. It's always like the you know um, you know the Southern Baptist and the and the punk rock circus people or something. Switches. So I like anything where people get out of their element and they have to experience something from someone else's perspective. I think those shows are fascinating. But um, no, so, yeah, definitely. So. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. See, and that's the problem with the show. Sometimes I find myself interrupting people, and then I decide I must just forge ahead. So forging ahead. <laughs> I just want to. I was say. trailing off, anyways. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I have to hone my style a little. No, but we're talking about reality TV, and which is a big part of pop culture. And, you know, at the beginning I said in, in your bio, it says that you're a pop, cultural, pop culture anthropologist. I mean, one of the things that I find so interesting about you is that you seem so fascinated by pop culture. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, to me, I guess growing up, that was my culture. So, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I, I guess, you know, just, I'm interested in history and I'm interested in a lot of different things, but I was interested in and also just the real, you know, the, um, just the vanilla version of things, <laughs> you know, so I always liked, you know, history, but I liked also just, you know, the trend stuff and the music and stuff like that. And I don't know, I like to see, you know, I kind of like to look at cause and effect and why things happen and why the mood of the country shifts at a certain time and what kind of things were driving that. And, you know, um, I just find it fascinating and I just love music and TV. (laughs) And um, toys. Don't you love toys? Yeah, and toys. You know, it's like, actually, there's a book, um, you might want to get this guy on your show, but there's a new book coming out called, I think it's called Rejuvenile, and it's kind of about people who don't really grow up. I mean, they might have adult responsibilities, but they don't say, okay, because I'm 25 now or married or 30 or whatever, that I cannot play games or I cannot listen to music or, you know, play video games is probably the best example because... So many grown-ups do that. But, um, and just how that, that generational thing, like people in our parents' generation would never do stuff like They would never get caught doing something that's considered juvenile or childlike. And I think for us, it's like perfectly fine. It's just one aspect of your life, and you want to have fun, you know? Yeah. You have responsibilities, and you have fun. So, Well, see, that was like wife swap, because the one woman was, they were the same age, but the one woman was like the llama lady. She was very sort of, you know... Um, strict and formal and the other woman was like a grown-up child mm-hmm. so so the one woman was Coney Island and the other woman was Williamsburg there you go <laughs> but I wanted to ask you something about the toy industry just because I know you and once again another cover story that you wrote a couple months ago um about Superman and holding out for a superhero and you talk about the slumping toy industry and yet and I know we made some toys for subservient chicken. We're trying to make some other toys. Do you think the toy industry is coming back in a different way? Well, I mean, there's definitely the whole trend of, um, you know, people, uh, grown-ups, adults. I shouldn't say grown-ups, adults, but who are not technically grown-up. You know, there are a lot of fanboys out there. There are a lot of folks who collect toys and just want things. I mean, a lot of my friends have, you know, shrines to whatever Pez dispensers or whatever it is. Um, You know, so I think there's that whole collecting aspect. And, um, you know, 
you can sell those items for higher prices. It's not the same thing as, you know, an action figure for a little boy who's actually going to play with it. Um, some people just like to have things and, uh, it's a, that's a whole, that's a whole other show. (laughs) My brother in law. The otaku culture. My brother in law has so many Star Wars toys. Yeah. It's insane. And he's a grown up with a good job. Does he have kids? He has one on the way. I was going to say, are the kids allowed to play with them? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it kind of gives people closure in some ways to have a collection of something and to complete it or to be working towards something. It might not, you know, it might not be your novel or, you know, you might might be doing something important and discovering a cure for cancer, but people like to work towards some goal. And sometimes it's just collecting something really stupid. And there's, I don't know, it just, uh, there are a lot of motivations for stuff like that. I, I definitely collect things, so. I'm a total dork. Well, we know you collect records that you hoard records and vintage clothes. And it's true, you have some really phenomenal ensembles. Thank you. And for the people that know you, like, I am correct when I say ensemble because it comes with a purse and some fabulous jewelry, right? Well, the thing is, my my secret is, um, I I really, uh, I I feel like a drag queen, basically. (laughs) I I don't feel like I'm very feminine, and I don't know how to put things together. Like, I'm really jealous of girls who can put together outfits and really work a whole ensemble. Like, to me, it's just like, buy a dress, because I don't have to really match too much with it. It's, it's, a, it's a full outfit. And then I have a ring. I have a ring in every color. So <laughs> I just put on my ring and it matches that dress and I'm good to go. Well, I think you always look fabulous. So Thank you. We, we don't have that much more time and then there's a couple more things I want to ask okay. you. So I'm forging ahead again. Um, what are the things that just in the future, what are some of the things or trends that you're most looking forward to covering in the mm-hmm. upcoming year? Um, well, let's see, just in general trends, um, any kind of consumer trends. I'm less interested in marketing trends. I think a lot of times people just think because Brand Week is a marketing magazine that we want to know um, about kind of the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And we do to an extent, but what gets me interested is, is consumer trends. And I do a column every week about that called Out of the Box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love music. I'm, I'd love to write more about music marketing, um, politics, um, I'm also really interested in, um, uh, I guess, like green marketing and, and how, I mean, that's, that's been, you know, kind of a slow trend for a long time, but I think it's kind of now reaching critical mass where people are really starting to think about, um, you know, wanting, you know, thinking more about what's in their food um, as opposed to just, uh, you know, buying something because, you know, it says light on the label. So or, ha- where um, do you think that's going to send people? Um, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, so, like, if people are more interested in what's in their food, is that going to impact, you know, big com- big food companies? Or I think it, it will. I mean, and I think it'll impact, um, I mean, I think just people want to know more about what's in. I think people want more control over things just in general. They want to know more about what they're eating, what they're putting in their bodies, what products, you know, what ingredients they have in them. And I think we're going to probably see more lawsuits in terms of, um, you know, class action suits where consumers are suing companies. I mean, you know, the one case where the people sued the McDonald's, <laughs> they were making them fat or whatever. Right. That kind of stuff, like I was reading the other day about something with um, a 
probably going to say the wrong brand. I thought it was Pantene, but it was some it was some kind of hair product that these women said this ad said it was going to make my hair shinier and it didn't. <laughs> so you are kidding me. No, and it's like you know, there's so much like they say like puffery or whatever in ad claims, and you know, there's a lot of. Uh, of stuff in advertising that's, um, you know, it's okay, it's legal to say, but then there are things where if you're making a certain claim, you know, that, you know, if it's not true, you know, that you know, people are, they've been, this has been going on for, you know, since advertising started, and, and people are now starting to say, hey, I think I'm going to, you know, question this a little more, and I think that's going to get the ball rolling, and maybe it'll lead to stronger legislation of, you know, of certain types of products. So that'll be interesting for the coming year. Now, I have a question that I ask everybody when they're mm-hmm. on my show. Um, and that is kind of, I mean, y- you have had, I think, a, a really interesting career. And I know you were an editor of Brand Week in New York and, and now here in L.A. And you have so many different interests. I mean, it seems like you have a lot of different places that you get stimulation and new ideas. And I guess my advice to you, or my question to you is, do you have any advice for somebody that is sort of feeling stagnant or stuck in something? And, you know, do you have any anything that sort of you look to that guides you in your career? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the thing I always go back to, and I forget this a lot of the time, and then I realize and go, duh, that's, you know, it's, Keep it simple, stupid, basically. <laughs> um, don't overthink things. I want to say go with your gut, go with your instincts. Once you have that mission and you know what direction you want to go, then you can start to strategize and really, really think it and put things in place. But don't, don't kind of doubt what you think is the right thing to do, what you want to do. I found for myself that in most cases that's turned out to be the right decision for me. In a lot of cases I've gotten jobs because I did something what I thought was my way, let alone, instead of saying, what would be the right way to do it? What would people think? What would they want me to do here? What would they want me to write about? I just tried to be myself, and I think maybe in some ways it was refreshing, and it worked Mm -hmm. out for me. Um, And then just for journalists in general, I would say, um, you know, it's... It can be a tough job. Everybody's really busy, but try to be humble and nice to people on the phone when they call you. You know, I was once an intern, and I always try to remember that when I get that stuttering, you know, <laughs> you know, 18-year-old girl named Jennifer calling me, checking, you know, in June on, a, you know, her media list. And, I, I, you know, I try to be nice to someone. If, it's someone. if someone calls and continually makes the same mistakes, if someone like a, a veteran, a PR person, continues to misspell your name or not understand what you do, that's different. But, you know, try to be nice to the people starting out. Well, that is excellent advice. And my newest and very last question. <laughs> my favorite which, one. <laughs> what is it? Which I think uh, incorporated into my show for my own, for like my own edification for just knowing when I go places. What is your all-time favorite restaurant? Oh, well, um, most of my favorite restaurants are closed. <laughs> Just like a lot of my favorite people are dead. Um, so I'll, I'll we were really like on an uplifting thing here, so okay. <laughs> let's not kick it all the way down right at the very you end. Say King, don't you? <laughs> Is that it? No, no, no. Uh, my favorite restaurants of all time. Um, well, for uh, shout out to anybody in California who grew up here, Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor is probably my favorite restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. You know, I like all the tiki restaurants, so Trader Vic's that kind of place. A lot of the really great like Polynesian kind of restaurants where there's food on fire and you know uh, drinks with five different types of alcohol in it I love those kind of places um, and, and my, my favorite I guess local place which is threatened so 
want to mention this, is a, a restaurant in Sail Beach, California called The Parasol. It's this amazing pink diner with an umbrella roof. It's like Mary Poppins on acid. And um, unfortunately, it's threatened. It's, uh, it should be a landmark, and we're hoping it will stay up. But, uh, um, you know, I don't know. It's not an expense account kind of place, so <laughs> I don't know if you're going to want to go there on your next business trip. But The Parasol in Sail Beach, California is delightful. And go there soon, just in case. Well, we yeah. wish it luck. Well, <laughs> Becky, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I had a really good time. I hope you did, you too. too. Thanks, Katie. Okay. Well, thank you, and thank you, everybody who um, took the time to listen to us. It's been a lot of fun, and please join me next week for even more information from The Hook. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye.